Uh, so the beginning of these talks in John, uh, I asked you to think of it like a courtroom, if you're here, obviously. Uh, and whole book of John almost is like a press record. No one trusts me. Uh, not at all. Uh, we said it was a... Oh, I need a Bible. Hold on. And we said we were in the courtroom because the book of John, what he does is, the question is, who is Jesus? And he brings in witnesses to say who Jesus is. And so um, that's kind of what we have today. Now, in our little story at Good Shepherd last week, we did a little change of scene. Uh, verse 22 intros us. Feast of dedication, which, probably, uh, which is modern day Hanukkah. Um, and we're in winter time. So it's a change of scene, new thing. Starting off here, but we're back in court, like we were at the beginning. Verse 24. Um, the Jews surrounded him and asked, how long are you going to keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. They're asking the big question. Who are you? You've been saying all these big things. Are you the Messiah? Tell us plainly. Jesus says, I did tell you. Verse 25, I told you, and you don't believe. And almost every week, it was almost getting a bit boring. I was saying, look how this shows that Jesus is the Messiah. Almost every week I was saying that he's fulfilling prophecy of the Old Testament. He's the living water. He's the true shepherd David that will gather the sheep. He's the light of the world to the nations. He's the servant Messiah of Isaiah. He's sent from God, the, the Messiah. And so he's told them again and again and again. Um, but it does beg the question, he's notably not said at any point, I am the Messiah. He's not said that. He's always said everything but, but he's not actually said that. And the uh, question, why not be straight about it? And it's because his listeners don't understand what the Messiah is. Um, the reason they're celebrating Hanukkah is because they're, they're celebrating uh, the Jews 100 years ago defeating the, the well, I think Syrians at the time and taking back over Jerusalem yes it's very political they're very politically minded the Romans are this big enemy and so they're expecting Messiah to come and sit on the king on the throne in Jerusalem and get rid of all the evil people out of the land that's what they expect when they hear Messiah and in fact in John 6 um, we read this after the feeding of the 5,000, when the people saw the sign he had done, they said, this truly is the prophet who, who is coming to the world. They were identifying him as the Messiah. Therefore, when Jesus realized that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he withdrew again to the mountain. Jesus is not the earthly king who's gonna get rid of the Romans. That, his purposes were much bigger. Um, instead, what he's been doing is, been assuming the role of Messiah, telling them in these ways, while also teaching them about the nature of the Messiah. Because they couldn't hear it, he was teaching about the nature of Messiah. As he teaches, I'm the Messiah, and not actually say it, he's teaching them that he's bringing eternal life. Not just temporary life of freedom from the Romans. He's building an eternal kingdom that's spiritual, not a temporary earthly kingdom. Um, and most strongly, as we'll see, he's leading up to the fact he's a suffering Messiah. He's going to die. Not one who's going to go into glorious 
victory and kill all the enemies. He's going to die himself. So that's why he's not said it as plainly as this, because if people don't get the term that he's been teaching them. Back to court. He said it, um, verse 25, let's read that again. I did tell you that I'm the Messiah, and you don't believe. Jesus answered them, the works that I do in my Father's name testify about me. Testify, bear witness, we're in the courtroom. And he's saying the works testify about him. Now, if I'm a builder, this isn't a good hat. I was trying to get a builder's hat. This is the best I've got. Well, it looks all right, actually. Thank you. That was very rude. Uh, yeah, so you're homeless and you, you're struggling for cash, and I come up to you and go, I'll build your house, I'm a builder. You don't know me from Adam. I've got the hat on. I'm telling you I'm a builder. How do you know? Do you believe him? Um, you might wear the hat, you might claim to be one, but how do you know? Well, you might say, well, maybe, and then you follow him for a week and see what he does in his day. And if he's going around and he's laying foundations on one site and then he's going to another site the next day and he's bricklaying, then he's plastering the next day um, and he's doing roofs on the, on the Friday, you look at his works and you say, ah, that guy is a builder. I trust him. So his works testify about who he is. And that's what Jesus is saying here. He's saying, I've said it, but it's not just that. My works are telling you that I'm the Messiah. Um, so let's just look at the works, the works that Jesus has been doing in John. So we're going to kind of flick through John from the beginning. Water into wine. What did that work testify? Well, it testified that Jesus was going to be the Messiah because they were promised this prophet that was better than Moses. Moses' first miracle, turning water into blood. Okay? Jesus turned water into wine. Isn't that better? Elisha, first miracle, turned toxic water, made it clean. Jesus turned dirty water, made it into wine. So he's saying, I'm the better prophet through that miracle. And he does it effortlessly. While they said, thus says the Lord, and they pray, Jesus did it. Second miracle we see, Jesus heals the official son from a distance, which is a real massive display of power. And Elisha does a very similar miracle, but he struggles with it. He tries to heal him from afar and fails. Elisha is the biggest miracle worker of the Old Testament, really, or maybe Moses. He fails, he can't do it properly. Jesus does it, oh, he's healed, don't worry Easy, he's the Messiah, he's the, the, the prophet that was promised. The paralyzed man, Isaiah 35, 6 says, the lame man shall leap like a deer when the Messiah comes. Jesus heals a paralyzed man for 38 years, effortlessly. Feeding the 10,000, he's a great Moses. Moses fed people in the desert through God. Jesus did it himself. Elisha, again, did a miracle, feeding 100 people from St. Moses Valley. Jesus fed probably 10,000 people effortlessly. He is this Messiah, he is this Messiah. Walking on water, Moses cleared out the water and walked on the ground. Elisha made an axe head sit on water. Jesus walked on water. He is the greater prophet. He is the promised one. He is the Messiah. Um, he healed the man born blind. Isaiah 35 5 says that the blind shall see. The blind will see. That is an obvious. He's saying, I am the Messiah. And then he healed him by chucking him in a pool, which was called Sent One. 
I am the sent one, I am the Messiah. So all of these words, you see, point to Jesus saying, Messiah. Like the builder, his jobs tell you he's a worker. Um, and he tells me in verse 26, the reason they don't believe, but you don't believe because you are not of my sheep. They're not like sheep. In that analogy we did last week of the Good Shepherd, Jesus walks into a, a sheep pen full of sheep and he calls out his sheep by name and they come to him. The others, oblivious. Have you ever shouted at a sheep? They don't, they don't take any notice of you. Just like, chew grass and look at you. Jesus is saying, of course you're not listening to me. You're just sitting there oblivious, staring at me blankly. You're not my sheep. You don't understand. Um, and if he is the Messiah, that means he is the Saviour come to open the eyes of the blind. And give, and he says it here specifically, what do the sheep get? 27, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. The Messiah has come and is offering eternal life. All the works say this is the Messiah and he's giving eternal life. So we'd be idiots like the Pharisees are being, dumb sheep, chewing their grass, staring at you blankly, to not say those works are saying this is the Messiah and the Messiah is saying I've come to give you eternal life. We need to, um, if we're a Christian, have joy in eternal life and that all these words point to this glorious saviour who's giving us eternal life. And maybe we're not a Christian who think about eternal life is on offer. Am I gonna be a stupid sheep who doesn't see it? The, the, the works are testifying about it and maybe you are called by God to be a Christian and you don't know it yet. But listen, are Jesus' words resonating in your head? Are you maybe his sheep? You need to turn to Christ. And then the other application here is that the Messiah keeps his sheep. If you hear his voice, you need to follow him. If you're his sheep, you hear his voice and you follow him, you seek to obey him, he'll keep you to the end. If he says, follow me, do this, do that, and you always say no, Maybe not sheep, are you? But there's a promise there. No suffering that I'll lead you into. No temptation that will come upon you. If you're my sheep, whatever make you not my sheep. I am holding on to my sheep. No one can pluck them out of Jesus' hands. So be comforted that Christ has told you. We're celebrating baptisms next week. And it's like the Spirit is coming to you. Jesus is holding on to you. And assuming you really are a sheep, which I'm convinced you two are, he's going to hold on to you that whole life. Yeah? And in fact, to ram home the security of a sheep, he appeals to someone else's strength more than his own. To hold on to the sheep. 29. My father, not the father, my father, who has given these sheep to me, is greater than all. No one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. So he's saying, it's not just me, I'm a bloke saying that. God, the Father, keeps his sheep as well. We are the same. 
And then there's this line, I and the Father are one. They're united in keeping a sheep. They're united in their will, in their actions, in their purposes. I and the Father are one. What a lovely statement. How do the Jews react? Pick up stones to kill him. And let's not lose the danger of this. Oh, stoning, yeah, stoning. Stoning is mental. Imagine a mob. It's been surrounded already. Picking up a load of stones to kill you. That is seriously scary. If you've ever seen um, online or something, uh, a mob doing justice to a thief in a little village, it's brutal, it's scary. And that is the situation that Jesus is under. He's about to be stoned to death. Why? For claiming that he and the Father are one. And in fact, three times in John, um, it's been mentioned he's about to get stoned. Every time, he's been saying something about him being equal with God. That is the thing that almost gets him killed every time. And verse 33, um, they reckon Jesus claimed to be another God. We're not stoning you for good works, for healing that guy, but for blasphemy, because you being a man, make yourself God. They know God is God. How can a man say it? I mean, it's an understandable logic um, that they have. But they're thinking Jesus claimed to be God himself or another God. And I'll tell you, but they've got it. They're not actually understanding what he's saying. And Jesus' response is actually quite clever. It's pretty a bit confusing when you read it. Verse 34. Um, he's about to be killed. And his response is to the question there, logic. Um, he quotes Psalm 82, I said you are gods, um, where men, in that psalm, men, most probably, are called gods. And so merely his point is, um, well, you believe scripture, right? Well, in scripture, men can be called gods by God. So even scripture is gray area with this language. Um, Perhaps my claim of godlikeness is also biblical. See what he's saying? He's just throwing it out there. Scripture used the term God applied to men. Perhaps there's a way I could be saying something biblical as well. You can't break scripture, right? He's just throwing the fact that their deep-seated assumptions about exactly how to interpret God is correct. He said, well, maybe not. Give me an ear. If I'm the, and then he, he kind of says, if I really am the Messiah, maybe it's even more likely that my claim to be God has something biblical to it. If there's going to be a time when we need to rethink God, it's when the Messiah comes, right? Um, and he's trying, to, he's trying to urge them, be biblical, be rational. You're meant to be people of the book. Um, in verse 37, he sits him down. He says, if I am not doing my father's work, then don't believe me. But if I am doing them, and you don't believe me, Believe the works. He's saying, I get that you might not believe what I'm saying, but the works, the purpose of the works is to point to me and say, there's something different about him. Um, and so we're back in the courtroom, and Jesus is now saying, the works say more than just he is the Messiah. He's saying, look again back at the works. They're saying something else too. They're saying something that I am the Son of God. And it's the builder same crap, we've been following the builder around. He's been doing his roofing. At the same time, he's been pulling out electric circuits and putting in electrical boards and he's been wiring things. 
And so we've learned two things we've been watching him this week. He's also an electrician. So looking at someone's work that they do in their building, you can learn something else about them too. And so with Jesus, it's the same. We can look back at his miracles and see that he is also the Son of God. So all the miracles, quite nicely, um, point to a second meaning. Uh, water into wine. All these miracles, Jesus just does effortlessly. Every prophet that's ever been had to say, thus says the Lord, pray. They, they, they always look to that God's power. But Jesus did it himself. Moses, when he turned the blood, the water into blood, said, thus says the Lord, I'm going to turn the water into blood. At no point does Jesus do that. It's almost, he's almost reluctant in the story to do it. It's so easy. He's almost reluctant to make the water into wine. And straight away after that, in John at least, he says, he's in the temple wrecking things, saying, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of praise. John makes it clear that this is not just a simple Messiah claim. Healing an official son from a distance. It says specifically the son's about to die. God is the one who has power over life and death. Jesus has that power over life and death from a distance. I will decide if that person is or dies. He's not just saying I'm the Messiah. He's saying something more. I, am, I can do the things the Father does. Paralyzed man. He did it on the Sabbath. That was really key. And what did he say when he was quizzed about it? My father is working until now and I am working. Who always works on the Sabbath? God. That's his point of teaching point of doing it on that day was to say, me and my dad, or me and my father are the same. We do the same work on the Sabbath because we are one. Feeding in 10,000. It was the Lord who fed Israel in the desert. And it's the Lord, Jesus, who is God, who feeds these Israelites in the desert. Walking in water. God has total control over nature. That is absolute power on display. Only God has that. He's not just saying I'm pretty class and I'm a Messiah. He's saying I'm the Son of God. Um, man born blind. He's born blind. The point is I'm reversing what God did at birth. I have that power too. Um, and we haven't talked about that. The next miracle, next week, raising of Lazarus. What shows the power of God over life and death more than raising a dead man? Jesus uh, and the Father are one. And so the oneness of father and son, if they are unified in their actions and will, that's what's really here. Um, and we need, we need to think of father and the son like that. They are united in what they do. Sometimes um, Jesus has been given authority by the father. They have these different um, ways of treating each other. And I think it teaches us um, to just refine our view of the father and refine our view of the son in light of each other. Um, so maybe you are guilty of this. Sometimes we view Jesus as um, maybe lesser than the Father, or nicer than the Father. A bit more. He's humble. He's a shepherd. He's kind. He's. I was saying last week. He's you know got lamb round his shoulders, looking off into the distance. Nicely, uh, nice good looks. But actually, the Father and the Son are one. Um, and picture the disciples as they live their life. And this idea slowly dawned on them. 
seeing Jesus reveal that he is God. Knocking about with someone like John. Oh, that's a bad example, maybe. <laughs> but realising this guy is mental. He's just kind of stalled. This, you know, the feeling of raw power from a man who can do these things so effortlessly. Um, Jesus saying, I and the Father are one. He raises the dead, he rebukes the sea. He has all the authority of God and says, God has given me authority. This is our saviour who we bow down before. This is who we put our trust in. And so we must not lessen Jesus' power in our mind, but put him and his authority really highly. Him and the Father are one. He has the authority given to him from the Father. And if he's that powerful and he's that awesome and that godlike, which he is, he is God, then it has loads of implications. Let me give two. One is that there is no one more trustworthy in all the world to put your trust in than Jesus. He is one with the Father. He is all-powerful and he is totally trustworthy. And we were saying this, I think, with Patricia on, on Friday. The Bible doesn't just say, believe him. Believe Jesus, what he says. It says, believe in him. And so when we, we're putting our trust in him, trust is maybe even a better word, we're putting our trust in him. Like a, the example of a chair, you put your trust in a chair, you lift your feet up, your trust is in the chair. We have God with all authority. Him and the Father are one. We must put our trust in him. We can trust in all his promises. It's not trusting a bloke that lived 2,000 years ago as a nice little shepherd. It's trusting, although it is that, it's trusting uh, Jesus, who is one with the Father, the creator of all the universe. Totally trustworthy. And the second little application of this is that there's no one more important to obey. The one who commands us to live in a holy life, to love others. The one who tells us um, these things. His commands are absolutely right. They are commanded to us by the sovereign God. Jesus is God. Him and the Father are one. We cannot um, think of God as just, uh, Jesus as just warm and nice and very forgiving. He is forgiving. He is warm. But he is also God Almighty. And so that healthy um, fear of the Lord should help us chase holiness. Maybe it's the difference between, say, Daniel could talk. Daniel asked me, Dad, take the bin out. I do what I want. But if I was at school, my head teacher said, Joe, can you take the bin out? The person, same command, but if we understand the authority of the person asking us, we will obey it better. We must remember the authority of Jesus. He is one with the Father, and he is commanding us, and we should obey him in the fear of the one true God. And so he commands us to kill sin, and so we, we can't be lax about it. If it's a humble carpenter in your head, and only that, you've got a, a much lesser view of Jesus than you need to have. He is the humble carpenter, but he's also God Almighty. And so you may be tempted to think, oh, Jesus won't mind if I keep on praying, uh, if, if I keep not praying. He won't mind if I'm being sexually immoral. He won't mind if I don't forgive those people. No, no, the Son of God 
All authority in heaven and earth has been given to him. The Son of God commands us to do these things. He's united fully with God the Father. He commands us to put sin to death. We must obey. God is abounding in steadfast love and compassion. He knows it's hard. He gives us the Holy Spirit to help us, who is also God Almighty. So we have all the tools. It's not, a, it's not an impossible task ahead of us. But we can obey. Uh, we must obey because Jesus is commanding us. He is God. And so by verse 40, we've come full circle in the book of John, from my chapter 1, verse 19, to here. One big circle. We start with John the Baptist and we end with John the Baptist now. Um, from the reader's perspective, the evidence has been laid out. We're in the trial, we're in the courtroom. The works have been saying, this is Messiah, this is the Son of God. We as readers have a choice to make. Are we believing the works? Are we believing what the book of the Bible says? Will we submit to Christ? So the works say Jesus is the Messiah, Jesus is the Son of God. We must believe in him and we must obey him. Right, let's pray. Jesus, uh, Son of the Most High God, who has all authority given to him. Uh, you are one with the Father. You are united in action. You both ordained that Daniel would hit the piano at this time. Um, they are united in everything they do. And Lord Jesus, we acknowledge that uh, you are Messiah this morning. And um, you've come to save us and you tell us to repent. We pray people would repent and turn to Christ in this town. And Lord, help us obey. Forgive us for our, our lack of of holding Jesus. He gives these commands up as mighty God. Forgive us for our lessening of his um, Godship. That's word. Forgive us of um, our lack of fear of the Lord. And pray we would be holy representatives um, of our Saviour. In Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, so now we're going to sing a couple of songs, which is um, helping us lift Jesus up into that role. We're going to say, the one who's high and lifted up in this song, and we're going to say, behold our God, behold Jesus our God. That song's about Jesus. So we'll do that now. Oh, I can't, it looks itself. I don't know what to do.